Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod. Birdwatchersgeneralstore.com. And proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Winter is beginning, and plenty of birds are making Rhode Island their winter home. Come with us on some of our free year-round walks that are listed on our website, www.oceanstatebirdclub.org. And follow us on Facebook, or become a member and stay up to date with our quarterly newsletter, Ocean State Bird Club. Good morning. Welcome to our show, number 705. And to all our listeners of the Jewish faith, happy Hanukkah. We have a bit of good news to report this morning. On last week's show, we welcomed Brian Lenz from the American Bird Conservancy, who told us about a wonderful Wisconsin program that led to the creation of the world's first bird-friendly sports arena, the Milwaukee Bucks Fiserv Forum, designed and built to reduce bird collisions that prove fatal in many big glass-fronted buildings like this one. Well, just after we spoke to Brian, we got word of another local effort to reduce bird collisions. The City Council of the City of Alameda, California, considered an ordinance this week designed to help prevent these collisions. The ordinance would, among other things, require that new buildings of a certain size would have to use bird-friendly glass and other protection measures to reduce these often fatal collisions. The good news is that this past Tuesday evening, November 27th, the council passed the ordinance on a unanimous vote. So way to go, City of Alameda, California, and thanks to Golden Gate Audubon for your efforts to help make that happen. Alameda, by the way, has now joined with several other California cities, including San Francisco, Oakland, and Richmond, in efforts to reduce bird building collisions, which result in the deaths of an estimated 365 million birds a year here in North America. What we have there is today's Talking Birds Mystery Bird. However, this is not the Mystery Bird Contest. Let me explain. This is just a preview of our Mystery Bird Contest, so you have an idea uh, what to expect when we uh, call for the calls a little bit later on. Some clues about our Mystery Bird it's one that's not often seen due to the fact that it inhabits the deep boreal and mountain forests of northern North America. It's a medium-sized, black and white, but mostly black bird with a white mustache stripe and a thin white line behind the eye. Its throat, breast, and belly are white. Our bird feeds on the larvae of bark beetles and wood-bearing beetles. And here's one more clue. Unlike most woodpeckers, our mystery bird does not have four toes. Okay, clues there in the sound of our mystery bird. We'll do the contest uh, just a little bit later on in this morning's show. Extra, extra, read all about it. Some of the stories and videos we have for you on our Facebook page this week. What's so great about the willow warbler? The tiny species found in northern Europe and Asia. Well, for one thing, it travels 8,000 miles each way, maybe more, in spring and fall migration. ScienceAlert.com has a story about it, and we'll link you to it through our page. Nature Network presents 20 Amazing Facts About Feathers. Our Facebook page will connect you to that presentation and those facts. And be prepared to groan when you visit our page for two examples 
of some pun-based bird humor. Some of what we have for you on our Facebook page right now. Not a Facebook follower? Well, you can also find those stories, I think, through an online search. From the Talking Birds email bag, a note from one of our great ambassadors up in the Badger State, Scott Bauman in Waupon, Wisconsin, who's been doing a big green birding year, also known as a Big Bee, which essentially involves leaving the car at home and walking or bicycling, maybe canoeing in search of listable birds. And he says, hey, Ray, I just wanted to update you on where my green birding list stands for the year. We're a little bit late in getting to this, but he says, with the colder weather, I haven't had as many chances to get out and bike. My list stands at 235 bird species for the year. I was able to add Brewer's Blackbird, Water Pipit, and finally Barred Owl to my year list a couple of weeks ago. I've seen several barred owls this year, but never when I was on one of my Big B bike trips. Unless something unusual shows up nearby, I think my totals for the year at 235 will stand firm. This year's total is three more than my previous high, 232, back in 2010. Most of those were collected within 25 miles of my place here in Waupon. Lots of trips to Horicon Marsh National Wildlife Area. My mileage total stands at 1,491 miles, 39 walking, and 1,452 biking. Wow. Thank you, Scott. And uh, no hard feelings, by the way, I hope, about that Patriots-Packers game a few weeks ago. Conservation Salute of the Week goes to our friend and ambassador Joy Klump down in Houston, Texas, for suggesting this salute to a group in her home state. I guess the salute goes to the group, but our thanks to Joy, who we had the pleasure of meeting, by the way, just a few weeks ago, I guess it was, that, uh, in Philadelphia at the American Birding Expo. So the group is the Environmental Services Department of the Woodlands Township in the Woodlands, Texas. Joy tells us that each year the Environmental Services team there holds what they call a 3R Bazaar, an event that serves to educate the public on the three R's, recycling, reusing, and reducing waste. This year they handed out hundreds of reusable bags and reusable stainless steel drinking straws that come with their own brush so they can be easily cleaned and used again and again. And Talking Birds listeners, please visit our Facebook page for some links to the good work being done by the folks we salute today, the Environmental Services Department of the Woodlands Township, Texas. Thanks again, Joy, for the suggestion, and thanks for sending us this very cool Woodlands Township 3R Bazaar recycle bag and this beautiful stainless steel reusable straw, complete with convenient cleaning brush so it can be used indefinitely, unlike those nasty plastic straws, which are used for a few minutes, and then live on as plastic trash for about 200 years. And by the way, Joy, back to football again. Sorry about the <laughs> sorry about the Patriots beating your Houston Texans back in September. Uh, but both of our teams are doing reasonably well with matching eight and three records. Packers have a little catching up to do. Still to come on our show today, our own Debbie Bleacher will join us here in the Talking Bird studio to tell us what she did on her summer vacation. Hint, it had something to do with birds. Plus, we'll get some more backyard bird-feeding wisdom from our man Mike O'Connor at the Birdwatchers General Store on Cape Cod in our Let's Ask Mike Live segment. And up next, it's not our mystery bird. 
but it's a bird around which some mystery swirls. It's today's featured feathered friend, presented by Birdwatching Magazine. For more than a quarter century, Birdwatching has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. What's happening to the rusty blackbird? The rusty blackbird is a little bigger than a red-winged blackbird and a little smaller than a common grackle with a shorter tail. It's recognized by and named for its rusty feather edges seen in winter plumage. It has pale yellow eyes and buffy eyebrows. And what's happening to it is that it's disappearing. The rusty blackbird is one of the most rapidly declining species in North America, with a population that has plummeted as much as 99% in the past 40 years. And scientists aren't sure why. Before 1920, more than half of the bird counts for eastern North America listed the rusty blackbird as very common to abundant. Only 7% list the species that way since 1950, and almost half of counts from the same regions now list the bird as rare to uncommon. The rusty blackbird has a geographically extensive breeding range in wooded wetlands from New England to Alaska throughout the northern forest zone, and it's strongly associated with wooded wetlands in the winter as well. So scientists point to a number of factors leading to the bird's decline, like winter habitat loss as wooded wetlands are converted to agriculture. That habitat loss may have caused the rusty blackbird to feed in more open areas where it faces competition from birds like those common grackles and red-winged blackbirds. Rusty blackbirds eat more insects than other blackbirds do, and evidence suggests they may be less adaptable in the face of rapid environmental changes. Species like the rusty blackbird, associated with those northern forest wetlands, have shown consistent declines, and global warming is suspected in causing major changes in the extent of those wetlands, along with the chemistry of the waters and the structure of invertebrate communities, all important factors for the rusty blackbird. The rusty blackbird is still listed as a pest species in a number of states and subject to control programs aimed at blackbirds. The Rusty Blackbird, Euphagus carolinus. Today's Talking Birds featured Feathered Friend. By the way, the Rusty Blackbird Project began a few years ago to try to figure out what is going on with the Rusty Blackbird. So we try to have a, an update on that and get some updated info on a, a very near future Talking Birds show. Thanks for being with us. Our show number 705. Please do visit our website. It's TalkingBirds.com and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Talking Birds. In the studio with us this morning, it's Talking Birds senior producer, Debbie Bleacher. Good morning, Debbie. Good morning, Ray. So your summer vacation, when you and I were at the Mass Audubon Birders Meeting last March, you met Sherry York, who coordinates the Artists in Residence program at Hog Island up in Maine. She introduced you to master bird bander Anthony Hill. They told you all about Hog Island and mentioned that scholarships were available for the hands-on bird science program. And you say you just had to apply. I Absolutely. can understand that. 
So for folks who don't know anything about Hog Island, Debbie, give us a quick idea of what goes on there and tell us about your hands-on experience. Oh, sure. Well, um, Hog Island, it's, it's the Hog Island Audubon Camp. It's off the coast of Bremen, Maine. And um, people can go for a week at a time for programs that teach all about uh, birds and bird science. Um, and they especially time the classes for major migrations. So you get to see, you know, all over 100 or 150 bird species as mm-hmm. they pass through. And you not only did took part in this, but you also created something afterwards. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Um, so, yes. So I received a scholarship and to, to attend. And the scholarship required that I, the scholarship I received required that I do something to publicize the program. Mm-hmm. So I brought my recording gear and I carried it everywhere during the week. So I participated in all the activities and I interviewed instructors and participants and just gathered sound. Mm-hmm. Um, to, and I, so I ended up making a piece, um, which will be in our podcast feed, uh, about the program, about hands-on bird science. That'll be one of our podcast extras, we call it. Yes. Um, I thought it would be good for our listeners to hear about all of the all four activities offered in the program. So in the piece, when you hear it, you will hear all about doing point counts for a community science project, recording bird song in the really early morning, banding birds, and making museum study skins. Hmm. So it was a, a lot of fun. I'd love to return uh, to Hog Island, maybe volunteer, and just enjoy the experience and not record anything. All right. Yeah. And you talked to some interesting people while you were there. Yeah. So um, I understand we're going to play a few clips. Yeah. All right. So uh, the first one we're going to hear is uh, we're going to hear Dr. Brooke Bateman, who is the senior climate scientist with National Audubon. Um, she's the director of their new community science program called Climate Watch which is a nationwide effort to track shifts in bird species over time. And she's going to just tell us why do that. I'm not sure if this is the right clip, but let's All find right, sure. out. Yeah. Yeah. I think sound recordings really matter because oh. they're just a big part of our environment. And it's maybe some part that we're not really that aware of because as humans, we remember things visually. We take photographs wherever we go and then we take those home and look at them. But we never think so much about the sounds of our environment. And so that's why I think it's really important to preserve them and then also document to other people in the future how things have changed and yeah, how we change the environment. Great. Oh, that was wonderful. That was not Brooke Bateman. That was Dr. Angelica Nelson, who's the curator of the Borough Laboratory of Bioacoustics at Ohio State. Um, so she led the segment on uh, birdsong recording. And uh, what I learned was that sound archives, such as the Bar Lab, preserve recordings for research uh, because bird songs change over time, um, especially as habitats change. So we got to participate in research by adding recordings. Um, so the, uh, the next one might be Dr. Bateman. I'm not sure. Um, all right, let's play it. And we we'll have see Sandy we and we have Lindsay. Oh, fabulous. Yeah. Oh, okay, wonderful. Yeah. Um, so we have uh, Sandy Lockerman then, um, who was one of our instructors in bird banding. Um, and she, uh, she has a story about learning about the migratory patterns of northern saw wet owls, um, which yielded a surprising result. I started out in banding 22 years ago with a project in central Pennsylvania trying to discover whether northern solid owls migrated through Pennsylvania. The literature said they went down the coast. October and November is when we banned up in the mountains at night from dusk until midnight. And our first year we had 73. 
And since then, now we've had a total of 10,000 northern sawwood owls that we have caught and banded migrating through central Pennsylvania. So obviously, they do migrate through. Banding was a wonderful experience. I I got to do it, um, but I also got to record participant Lindsay McNamara um, uh, banding a a hairy woodpecker. Um, And uh, she's going to describe the experience for us. She's a tough one to start out with. Now you want to do the beak. A hairy woodpecker is about the same height as an American robin, but the shape is a little bit different. It's more streamlined. Casey, who's another young birder here, wanted to ban the chick, and I decided to take on the mama. She was great. I was very nervous because she is a mom, and so I really wanted to make sure that the bird was as comfortable as possible. I was never afraid of the bird. I was afraid that I was going to do something wrong and have the bird be more stressed. And so I was really trying to be as good to the bird as possible but the instructors at hog island are excellent and their expertise is endless and so i knew that they were constantly watching the bird and if at any point we just had to let her go that's what we would have done yeah that looks good she's gonna go go baby bye okay love you so it was uh altogether a a marvelous experience for me to be there uh Uh, learning about birds, learning about bird science, interacting with these very knowledgeable instructors, and of course all of the birders of all ages who were there. Um, There was a teen program running at the same time, so um, I got to meet young, up-and-coming birders. Pretty cool, and uh, this is a little preview, really, of Debbie's uh, podcast. We call it a podcast extra. And if you'd like to listen to the whole thing, I think it's about 20 minutes, yeah. something about yeah. about that. So if you are a subscriber to our podcast, it'll download automatically in your podcast feed, just as our live uh, weekly shows do. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe but want to hear it, you can find it in our show archive on our website. Just go to podcasts under, under the listen button, and you can just type in extra. I think that's the easiest way oh, to do yeah. it. Type in extra and you'll go right to all these podcasts. And this particular one will be up by tomorrow. Yes. And there are other ones up there right now. Uh, if you want to subscribe, you can look up our show and your podcast provider and choose, guess what? Subscribe. And that'll that'll do it. Hey, who knew? Thank you so much, <laughs> Debbie. Oh, you're welcome, Ray. My pleasure. Up next, it's our mystery bird contest in just one minute. <laughs> Tanzania hosts more than a thousand bird species, and on safari with Nasera Safaris, you'll see the birds and the big five. The lion, leopard, elephant, rhino, and cape buffalo. That's Nasera Safaris founder and guide, Joseph Dunguru. And Nasera Safaris provides more, says co-founder David Clapp. We offer customized safaris and mountain climbing adventures in Tanzania, Kenya, and Uganda, and gorilla trekking in both Uganda and Rwanda. Going on safari in Africa is an unforgettable experience, and there's no better way to do it than with Nasera Safaris. See their website for details, nasera-safaris.com. N-A-S-E-R-A, Nasera Safaris. Hey, just before the Mystery Bird Contest, I wanted to mention this uh, because we were talking about Maine there, with uh, about Hog Island. But uh, Maine birders up there, Deering Oaks Park in Portland, Maine, are going kind of crazy because they're seeing this great black hawk, a spectacular raptor that's native to Central and South America, sightings of which had never been recorded in the United States 
until earlier this year, and that was down on South Padre Island in Texas. So this is a pretty big deal up there in Maine. And in fact, there was another sighting as of 8.43 a.m. today, uh, the 2nd of December, right up there, Deering Oaks Park, uh, Portland, Maine. And by the way, our friend from Maine Audubon, Doug Hitchcock's, was quoted in the Boston Globe on Friday saying, the fact that this incredible bird has survived so long, so far away from its native range, is simply astounding. How many great black hawks have ever seen snow? Not many, but this one has. A quote from Doug Hitchcock's about the great black hawk putting on a show in the great state of Maine. I think the only black hawks that have seen snow would be what, Tim? They'd be the Chicago black hawks, I guess, right? Uh, Seattle. Seattle Blackhawks? Oh, sorry, Seahawks. Never mind. Just kidding. <laughs> Look, okay. They're, they're I follow the volleyball. Can't you tell? <laughs> this is our mystery bird that we're hearing right now. Well, first it was Tim, but now it's our mystery bird. And this is our mystery bird contest now underway. And we invite you to call us, and we urge you to call us as soon as you can to tell us what this bird is or to uh, take a guess, because no correct answer means a drawing will determine our winner. Our bird is not often seen because it's an inhabitant of deep boreal and mountain forests of northern North America. It's a medium-sized black and white but mostly black bird with a white mustache stripe and a thin white line behind the eye. Its throat, breast, and belly are white. Our bird feeds on the larvae of bark beetles and wood-bearing beetles. One more clue, unlike most woodpeckers, our mystery bird does not have four toes. That's our mystery bird. What is it? We have a beautiful prize package, including a Droll Yankees double suet feeder. This is a great feeder to have, especially now as we're getting into winter. Perfect for your backyard birds, for suet or fruit, for that matter. Heavy gauge wire holds up for years of use. It's from Droll Yankees, makers of the world's best bird feeders. Plus, we have a download to your iOS device or online access to the LarkWire app. It's the app that makes learning bird sounds a game. So two beautiful prizes here on our Mystery Bird Contest. Give us a call as soon as you can. Tell us what it is or take your guess. 781-837-4900 is the number. That's 781-837-4900. Meanwhile, I believe Mike O'Connor is going to tell us about kind of an underappreciated bird. It's our Let's Ask Mike live segment in just one minute. Talking Birds, we're for the birds. And we want to say thanks to another Talking Birds ambassador who's helping to spread the word about birds and conservation. I'm Betty Ann Sharp, and I live in Hubbardston, Massachusetts. I became a Talking Birds ambassador because I love the show, and I want to share that enjoyment with everyone that I meet. I hand out my Talking Birds cards at my business, and I also, when others have pulled over to the side of the road to look at that rare bird, I like to hand out the cards then as well. Talking Birds listeners, we hope you'll become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Just visit our website, TalkinBirds.com. Click on the contact button and then choose the Become an Ambassador option. We'll send you some info cards to hand out to your friends and neighbors. That's the contact button at TalkinBirds.com. And thanks. And thanks, Betty Ann. And we hope you'll join Betty Ann. Become a Talkin' Birds ambassador. Pretty easy to do. Just go to our website, TalkinBirds.com. Go to contact at the top of the page and choose the Become an Ambassador option. 
Mike O'Connor is kind of a uh, an honorary uh, Talking Birds ambassador. Joins us every show with interesting stuff about birds, especially in the backyard. And I believe he is with us this morning. Good morning, Mike. Honorary. Oh, look at that. You like that? It's a little yeah. a little thing. We're going to send you a we're going to send you a plaque and uh, possibly a, a a propeller beanie to. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mark that on. Finally, that's what I've been hoping for. I've been holding out for a pellabini. You'll be getting more people coming into the store to see that. I'll tell you that'll <laughs> that'll beat hat, hat full of potatoes day when you start. Oh, by a mile, that'd that. be awesome. Well, uh, Mike, Debbie is here with us in the in the studio, as as you know, and uh, we uh, understand that our focus is on uh, song sparrows today. This is a wonderful bird, but what you say it's kind of un- under underappreciated. I think it is uh, totally unappreciated because I mean, just about everybody that feeds birds get song sparrows, but most mm. people don't pay attention. Or they don't care. I mean, all day long people come in and ask me questions, you know, like, how do I get cardinals, or how do I get goldfinches, or how do I get cardinals, or how do I get chickadees, or how do I get cardinals? You know, they're always the same, especially with the cardinal factor. But it is a, goal, is a song sparrow, a little brown bird that comes to our, our feeders pretty regularly, or if you go for a walk, you're going to see it. If you go for a walk in the woods or along the beach, they're in the around the pond areas, the salt marshes. They're just they're very successful species. It's hard to go someplace without seeing a song sparrow. And they often get ignored, and they shouldn't. They have that beautiful song. They're, um, they, they can be with us year-round, depending on your area. Some people only see them in the winter. But they're in every state except for the pineapple state, because I guess they don't eat pineapples. They don't eat pineapples. No. Right. But they're, they're easy to attract, and they're probably at everybody's feeders. They, mm. They're not fussy. They'll eat sunflower seeds. They like that little millet. So some people are still stubborn, and they use that, that, mix, that awful mixture stuff. They'll pick through that, and they'll eat some of those ingredients. Uh, you, they don't go to birdhouses, but they will go to shrubs. And if you put out a brush pile, they'll happy to hide in that all winter. And they have this weird... Um, behavior where some years they migrate, some years the just the young birds and the females migrate, sometimes the males stay back and mm. want to be on the territory year-round, and, and they'll defend it. Other times, even that male will leave. And they're just, they're just real cool, interesting birds. They're, they get up early, they stay late. A lot of times I'll look at my feeders after dark, and, I, and they're out there picking mm. at the seeds. And, and even when I can barely see what they are. So learn about the song sparrows, enjoy this song, and uh, forget the cardinals for you. All right, forget the cardinals, a little respect for the song sparrows there. That's right, that's right. All right, Mike, talk to you next week. Sounds good. See you, Deb. Mike O'Connor, down at the Birdwatchers General Store, Orleans, Cape Cod. For over a quarter century, Birdwatching Magazine has been North America's premier magazine about wild birds and birding. Regular contributors include expert birders and authors such as Ken Kaufman, David Sibley, Pete Dunn, Laura Erickson, and others. Learn more at birdwatchingdaily.com. We're back here at the Mystery Bird Contest. This is a bird that doesn't sound anything uh, like a song sparrow. That's our mystery bird. It inhabits the deep boreal and mountain, mountain forests of northern North America. Medium-sized black and white, mostly black bird with a white mustache stripe. Thin white line behind the eye, its throat, breast, and belly are white. We, should we give that other uh, clue? It might be a giveaway clue, but we've, we've already given it now. Unlike most woodpeckers, our mystery bird does not have four toes. Okay. Let's see where we are, Tim. Uh, at 781-837-4900. I guess we have Jason in Springdale, Utah. Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, Jason. 
Good morning, Ray. How's it going? Uh, going well. How are how's things in Utah? What's it like there in early December? Uh, we, well, we're down. Uh, we're at the gateway of Zion National Park, and oh. we just had our first first snowstorm. Wow. What a beautiful yeah, place. Beautiful. Yeah, I, I was lucky to get to that place one time. Zion, what an amazing place. Well, Jason, uh, on our mystery bird contest, uh, what do you think? I think it's the American three-toed woodpecker. American three-toed woodpecker, Tim. Tim is nodding and saying yes. He's counting the toads. It only has three. American three-toed woodpecker. Nice, nicely done. You have some interesting woodpeckers out your way, right? Oh, yeah, we, well, we have quite a few woodpeckers out here. Uh, but our uh, our real claim to fame is the condor and the spotted owl. The California condor, yes, indeed. And the, that's the northern, northern spotted oh, yeah, owl? Just, uh, it's the Mexican spotted owl here, actually. Mexican, okay, Mexican spotted owl. Uh, Jason, excellent job. Thank you for calling, and uh, stay on the line. We'll get your address and all that and send you those uh, beautiful prizes. Thank you much. All right. Thank you, Jason. Out there in uh, Springdale, Utah, correctly identifying our mystery bird, the three-toed woodpecker, which really does have three toes instead of the usual four that most woodpeckers have. It's kind of interesting. It's thought that the loss of that fourth toe may help it deliver stronger blows as it plays whack-a-beetle, although it does lose some climbing ability. As a result, kind of interesting. As was your presentation today, Debbie Bleacher. Well, thank you. Thanks so much for being with us. And guess what? We're out of time for this week's show. Thank you to Mark Duffield and Debbie Bleacher and our engineer, Tim McKenney. I'm Ray Brown. See you next week. The bird show. I like that. Ray Brown's Talking Birds. Made possible by the generous support of the Bird Watchers General Store. Orleans Cape Cod birdwatchersgeneralstore.com and proudly sponsored by Ocean State Bird Club. Winter is beginning and plenty of birds are making Rhode Island their winter home. Come with us on some of our free year-round walks that are listed on our website www.oceanstatebirdclub.org and follow us on Facebook or become a member and stay up to date with our quarterly newsletter. Ocean State Bird Club. 